Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Christiana Tiberio of Tiberio in Abruzzo. Hello, welcome to the show. Thank you. Very nice to have you here. So your family is a producer in Abruzzo, and where exactly are you in Abruzzo? Cugnoli is uh, in the Monti area of Abruzzo. Uh, our family is not from Cugnoli, it's uh, from Abruzzo, but from the coast of Abruzzo. But uh, we decided to move to Cugnoli at the end of the 90s. Because uh, my father, my father Riccardo, uh, was uh, the manager of a large uh, Abruzzo wine company for uh, 30 years. And he knows uh, Abruzzo terroirs and Abruzzo grapes very well. So at the end of the 90s, uh, he discovered in uh, this town in Cugnoli an old, small vineyard of authentic Trebbiano Abruzzese variety. And he promptly decided to quit his job, and he quit his job, and bought this uh, property with this uh, small vineyard. And uh, all my grape luck is all due to my father, because it gave me the opportunity to work with uh, this uh, old vineyard, old vines, uh, more than 60 years old, of authentic Trebbiano Abruzzese variety. So what is Trebbiano Abruzzese and why is that different? First of all, it's important to say that Trebbiano d'Abruzzo is just the name of the wine and Trebbiano Abruzzese is the correct name of the grape. Two different names for grape and wine. It's very important to say because people have taken to calling grape and wine by the same name, but it's incorrect. Trebbiano Abruzzese is an old native grape. Uh, the first reference to Trebbiano Abruzzese is by Molon in 1906. But very little is known about Trebbiano Abruzzese and Trebbiano d'Abruzzo. 
the most important thing is uh, that people need to realize that Trebbiano doesn't exist. The only word Trebbiano doesn't mean anything. Because in Italy, we have so many Trebbianos varieties. Uh, in 1925, Marzotto selected and distinguished 15 different Trebbianos varieties, and most of, of them are still available in Italy. So we have Trebbiano Toscano, Trebbiano Romagnolo, Trebbiano Abruzzese, Trebbiano Spoletino, Trebbiano Giallo. Each one is different, and the wines they make are different too. Uh, Trebbiano Abruzzese, Trebbiano Spoletino and uh, uh, Trebbiano Giallo are the best varieties, but uh, the problem about Trebbiano Abruzzese is that in the vineyard the quantity is very little. Because uh, over the year, even wine growers uh, confused Trebbiano Abruzzese with Bombino Bianco, uh, with Mostosa and with Trebbiano Toscano itself. And uh, this is a great problem because uh, uh, when wine growers ask uh, for Trebbiano Abruzzese vines to plant uh, in a nursery, they were getting sent Trebbiano Toscano or Bombino or Mostosa instead of Trebbiano Abruzzese in perfectly good faith because Trebbiano Abruzzese and Bombino has been distinguished just recently. This is the reason why uh, many wines labeled as Trebbiano d'Abruzzo are considered daily wine, not so interesting wine, not wines suitable to age. And this experience taught me to work even with the other varieties, just with muscle selections. This is the reason why we decided don't buy any vines in a nursery. In the vineyard, of course, we didn't find just Trebbiano Abruzzese, but we found a mix of several Trebbianos varieties. Uh, with DNA taste, we distinguished Bombino Bianco, Pecorino, we found the seven vines of Pecorino in this vineyard. We found the Trebbiano Toscano. In fact, our old vineyard of Trebbiano Abruzzese is a pergola, is a canopy. You can see that some vines are missed. There is an empty space, and this space is empty because we took away all the other varieties different from Trebbiano Abruzzese. So why is pergola more important than, say, Guillaume or trellising on wires? Uh, because Trebbiano Abruzzese is a very sensitive grape with a sensitive skin. And uh, the berry is a very large berry. The peel is very thin, a lot of juice. And uh, Trebbiano Abruzzese grape needs shadow, needs a long and cool growing season. So the pergola preserved the freshness of the Trebbiano Abruzzese. In my case, my pergola is an old pergola. Uh, it's a unique example of pergola because I have two vines together to have more competition. 
but uh, in a very larger distance than usual. And uh, when I arrived to Cugnoli, I always uh, wondering each day why this system was so strange. And someone suggested me to plant another vine in between the two vines in order to have more density. But uh, I don't want to have more density. I want to respect the balance of the old vineyard. And I understood this specific training system, pergola training system, in November 2013. Because in November 2013, we had a terrible snow in Abruzzo before start pruning, when the leaves were uh, green. So all the snow stayed on the top of the pergola and the heaviness broke many pergola vineyards in Abruzzo. My pergola survived just because of this large distance, because in the middle there is a small, narrow, empty space where the snow was able to fall down. And the soil has some limestone in it in your yes, area? Yes, depending on the area, uh, limestone, calcareous soil, the subsoil is different. In one area, I have a marley clay. In another area, I have compacted sand. Marley clay is softer, compacted sand is darker. And uh, this is interesting for the roots because the roots and the vines on the marley clay subsoil are deeper than the other on the compacted sand because marley clay is softer and the roots are able and was able to break this layer on the subsoil so developed in the deepness. So do you have a preference for certain grape varieties on sand versus certain grape varieties on marley clay in terms of what you yes. prefer in the wine? Yes, I prefer the marley clay subsoil. Uh, the resulting wine is uh, more, uh, is deeper. The wine is deeper, age uh, better, in my opinion. The minerality is uh, more complex. It is a complex minerality. For the other one, is a very mineral wine, but not so complex and age well, but not in the same direction of the other one. In fact, my Fonte Canale are the which is the old wine parcel. Are the oldest vines, but not just the oldest and the best vines. Are the vines planted on the marley clay subsoil? Because the result is different. Even if you look at the grape, at first I selected these vines just just for the shape of the clusters and uh, even the harvest time is different. Completely different agronomic phenomenal in the vineyard during all the year, not just in harvest period. And it's crazy, but, uh, you know, make wines need the, develop a sensibility with uh, your vines. And what was your own progression at the estate? So your dad buys it, and then what happens next? My father bought the property at the end of the 90s, 
And uh, we work for the first uh, four years just uh, studying these old vines. Uh, making uh, muscle selection is not very fast and uh, take time because you need to select very well the most suitable branches to develop. And uh, so we just work in the vineyard for the first uh, four years. We planted our first vineyard of Pecorino in 2001 because we found seven vines of Pecorino when we was studying our old vineyard of Trebbiano Abruzzese. So why do you think they decided to call it Pecorino? Was it a historical name or? Different opinion about the name because someone says um, it's because the shape of the cluster remember you the head of the sheep. You know, pecorino means sheep in uh. Italian. Other people say because the sheep eat the leaves of this grape. But I think it's not true because the sheep eat leaves. Uh, any kind of grapes, not just pecorino, are not so selective. Um, I think it's one of the theory, and it's my theory, is because the pecorino developed in a mountain area, typical area of the sheep. And uh, because we can say from Abruzzo, from Marche, but the point is pecorino thrives in mountain area. It's a typical grape from mountain. It's important to say because pecorino is a very rustic grape, you can plant pecorino everywhere and the result is always nice, interesting, but not so typical. The typical pecorino and to have the identity of the pecorino in the wine, to have the identity, the grape, the vines, the vineyard need to stay in mountain area. What is it specifically about mountains that makes it better? Because even when you look at the grape and the, the vine, the leaves of a pecorino grape is very small and perfectly round. It means that this grape didn't need protection by the sun. And it means this grape developed in mountain area, in cool area. And even the characteristic, the analytical characteristic of the grape, because the acidity of pecorino is very high and the most part of this acid is malic acid, and uh, these are elements uh, who let people uh, understand uh, this uh, grape come from mountain area and not from a flat land. Uh, even because the first bud of pecorino doesn't produce grapes, just leaves. So the yield per hectare is naturally very low. And this happens more often in the grapes coming from mountain. It's a genetical aspect that uh, you can observe more often in, uh, in the typical mountain grapes. So do you think in the history that there was a period of time when they were blended all together, all of these grapes? 
for sure, in the past for sure. Even because we have to think that uh, all these native grapes in Abruzzo, but in Italy, we rediscovered these grapes were hidden in the old vineyards. I think even, I don't know, Timorasso in Piemonte and, uh, or Pecorino or Passerina or Cococciola or Montonico in Abruzzo. Farmers or wine growers found this grape hidden in the old vineyard and uh, over the year people considered this uh, grape all the same but wasn't the same. Even now, when you look at some uh, old vineyard in spring, when the vegetation starts, you can see different time of start for different vines. And this is the first thing that lets you know these vines are different. Of course, you need to check with analysis, DNA taste, and uh, what you need to do. But uh, this observation is the first element that uh, lets you think these vines probably are different. So is the reason why in many DOC in Italy, you can uh, use a blend. This rule is in order to save the natural blend in the vineyard. So, of course, in the past, in making Trebbiano d'Abruzzo wine, people used in perfectly good faith pecorino, cococciola, Trebbiano toscano, mostosa, bombino. So what do you think the advantage is to vinify them separately, as most people do today? Why is it a better wine to do it separate? I think it's important to have a different uh, vinification. The most important thing, the first thing is not to have different vinification, but a different harvest. Because all these varieties have a different time of ripeness. So it's important to pick up, to harvest in the suitable period for each grape, not all together. You can have a balance, just one vintage, because it's a lucky vintage, but usually it's important to follow the right ripeness of the grape. It's crucial in making wine for me if you want to let this wine is able to age very well. The overcooked, uh, overripened uh, grape uh, always uh, cut the life of the wine and even the flavor and the identity. Because when the grapes are overripened, all the grapes are same. All the flavors are same. It's very hard to distinguish. So during a period of time when they may have drunk the wine sooner, they may have done more field blending. But now that we perhaps look for long aging capability as a fine wine characteristic, it might make sense to vinify them separately because you can specify the harvest and technique to get that kind of ageability. Yes, this is uh, uh, crucial because uh, I think the most interesting aspect for a wine becomes later when you are able to age the wines. At first, uh, you are the first flavors, sometimes very characteristic, you know, Chardonnay, peach, Chardonnay in Italy, pineapple, you know. But uh, the real meaning of the variety of the grape comes uh, over the year. 
Have you had a chance to see that? Like in terms of the aging curve of your own wines? This is very interesting because I change my way to work thanks to my experience. I changed my way to work in the vineyard because the weather is changing. Even my taste is changing. My experience is changing. But the most important thing is that the weather is changing. When I started in 2004, my first vintage, I started vintage middle of September. Uh, now I start, usually I start harvest end of August. So uh, the weather is definitely changed, much more warmer. And uh, I want to preserve the freshness, of course. If I want to make uh, wines able to age, I need to preserve the freshness. And uh, I uh, changed, I move, I moved my way to work and I used now just uh, indigenous yeast for this reason. Because in my opinion, uh, using indigenous yeast, the wines can age better and are more complex. And I save the aspect in order to give uh, my wines the opportunity to age very well. It's interesting an observation about Pecorino, about the indigenous East, because I moved a couple of, in 2012, I moved to use uh, indigenous East in Montepulciano fermentation and in Cerasuolo fermentation. And uh, I started with Trebbiano in 2007. Pecorino was the last one where uh, I used the indigenous yeast because uh, I had some problem. The, the wines uh, was able to finish fermentation, but the extraction and the fermentation was too long, so too much extraction. The result uh, was to have a Pecorino wine larger, more rich, and the problem uh, was uh, not because I don't like uh, rich wine, but uh, wasn't the real meaning of pecorino uh, grape. But this experience taught me that uh, I needed to change something in the vineyard. So I changed, we changed our approach in the vineyard and uh, we used the Guyot. Uh, the training system for Pecorino is Guyot because the first bud doesn't produce a grape. For Pecorino, we let the branches fall down. We don't bond the branches in a very strict way. So when you look at the vineyard, it looks like the vineyard is not so tidy. But in this way, we have a lot of shadow. The cluster are in shadow. And uh, I made this observation just thanks to my experience with indigenous yeast. So in other words, you don't hedge and you don't trim the vine and the laterals go around and they shade the grapes. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. But in terms of how these wines evolve and bottle, I mean, as you said, there's been some changes and some of them you control and some of them the climate has altered. But I, I think a lot of Americans or maybe a lot of people just in general haven't tried a Pecorino with any kind of age on it. And so what happens in the bottle for some of these grape varieties that you're working with? 
Young Pecorino is, uh, can be a rustic wine. It's a balance between freshness, richness. Uh, uh, it's a nervous wine, Pecorino. It's a very vibrant wine. Uh, not tidy wine, not refined, but sometimes a little bit rude. With aging, Pecorino becomes uh, more refined. It's more elegant because these two different aspects, freshness and richness, at first can fight. But when Pecorino age, the wine become more elegant and other flavors develop. Uh, at first, Pecorino, the typical flavors for young Pecorino are sage, rosemary, green fig, vegetable flavors. In an old pecorino, in an aged pecorino, the main flavors are chamomilla, honey, sweet flavors, and flintiness. And even the acidity at first is green, ash a little bit, but in an aged pecorino, the acidity becomes more complex, softer, not so green, but mineral, not acidity, not acid wine anymore, but mineral wine. So you have Trebbiano Abruzzese, but you've had in the past, you know, other Trebbianos that you've seen. So when those age, and I assume they age in different kinds of directions, what's the, the characteristic that I would recognize and appreciate in an Abruzzese versus the others? Trebbiano d'Abruzzo, when it's made uh, uh, by 100% Trebbiano Abruzzese grape, uh, the typical flavors uh, when it's young are uh, citrus fruit, grapefruit, tangerine, yellow flower, but in a very tidy way, not aromatic, uh, not uh, aggressive, uh, intense flavors. It's a very uh, refined wine in the mouth, mineral, very long, creamy texture, and when aged, one of the most typical elements for Trebbiano d'Abruzzo are the noisette. Even if you don't use oak, all my wines are unoaked wines, and the Trebbiano, the aged Trebbiano d'Abruzzo give me sensation of uh, Hazelnut. Hazelnuts. Oh, Hazelnut. okay. Yes. And uh, flintiness. So is it common not to age whites in wood then in some areas of Abruzzo? So you have to think uh, the um, Abruzzo is not Tuscany. So uh, the farmers in Abruzzo started to make one not noble. So people didn't have so much uh, possibility to buy oak. And this is one of the reasons. Uh, why historically in Abruzzo we didn't use oak. I had experience with oak, but uh, my point of view in making wine, my identity, the identity of my wines are the clones. My clones, because are unique clones that belong to me, so all my choices in taking care of the vineyard and in making wine are in order to respect the identity of these clones. I don't want to change anything and the oak sometimes can mark too much or change the aspect, the flavors of the grape. 
So it's the reason why I decided to avoid oak for the moment. In the future, I can't say, but uh, I love stainless steel tank. All my fermentation are in stainless steel tank. And uh, I know each vintage is different because uh, with a stainless steel tank, I can't save in the wood the population of the indigenous yeast. So in each vintage, there is a new population of yeast that works in the juice, in the wines. But um, I like this aspect because I want to represent the vintage. Are you using press wine in any of the colors? Just a free run juice for Trebbiano, Pecorino and Cerasuolo too. I just used to have a couple of hours of not maceration, but I need these hours to have a free run juice, especially for Pecorino, because the berry is very strong and uh, I put all the berries with not the stock in the tank with the basket inside and when the tank is uh, completely full I open the basket and I pick up the free run juice. I need the heaviness of the berries to have a free run juice uh, because the yield is already low for pecorino and uh, this is uh, the point. Even for Montepulciano it's crazy but I don't squeeze the berries. I just uh, take away the stock uh, because uh, the... You don't the crush them. No, I don't crush. Because uh, we were talking about this global warming and how the weather is changing. The, the vines are very stressed because the winter are warm winter, the summer are tropical summer, hot day, sunny day, rainy day, cold day, the temperature drop and then increase in a very fast way. So even if the clusters, the skins look beautiful, inside are very stressed. And when the skins are very stressed, they, the risk is to give too much to the juice. So I don't squeeze for this reason. I don't want to have too much from these skins. Even, for example, for the yeast, if you squeeze, you extract different yeast. Oh, yeah? Yes. It's not a scientific rule. It's my experience. I don't squeeze. In this way, I can work with the cleanest part of the juice and I don't need to have any clarification. And, uh, you know, in this way, even uh, the wines are more clean, more pure in this way. At first, especially when the wines are younger, you can have the wrong impression the wines are uh, lighter, but it's not true. Uh, especially for the aging, it's uh, much more better to work with the free-run juice because the wines can age very well. It takes on weight and gets bigger. Yeah. Even Cerasuolo is crucial for me, don't have any press. Sometimes those kind of wines help me understand the more structured wines better because I can see something about the grape variety that I couldn't see from the bigger cousin of the same grape variety. 
So in a way, Cherisuolo helps me understand something about Montepulciano that I don't see in just straight Montepulciano di Abruzzo that's helpful for me. Cherisuolo, yes, is 100% Montepulciano di Abruzzo and uh, it's interesting because uh, Cherisuolo, it's an interesting history, the history of Cherisuolo, because many years ago, before global warming, in mountain area, Montepulciano grape didn't ripen very well. Even when uh, the producer harvested Montepulciano in November, the color of the grape wasn't dark, but was uh, light red. So even uh, if they wanted to make Montepulciano, so they used to have a fermentation with skins, the result wasn't a uh, true Montepulciano red wine, but wasn't a rosé wine, uh, was in between. So this is the reason why there is a Cerasuolo, is to justify, to give a sense, to give a reason of the Montepulciano grape coming from mountain area. Now, Montepulciano can ripen very well, even in mountain area, but the tradition of Cerasuolo keeps in uh, Abruzzo. Have you seen genetic diversity emerge just in the time that you've been there? Uh, yes, uh, um, I planted Pecorino in uh, 2001, so my vineyard is 15 years old. It's not so old, but it's one of the oldest you can find in Abruzzo. And the point is, uh, it's a muscle selection, so I use uh, the same uh, biotype, same clone, but today in my vineyard of Pecorino, I have uh, three different biotypes. Developed depending on the soil, probably, or the different air exposition, even if the plot is the same, one piece, but you know the level is different because it's the hill. And uh, I decided, uh, I, I tasted to have a different harvest, but uh, it's not the way I prefer, because in this way I respect different time of harvest for each different biotype but I need to make the blend after fermentation. Today, I harvest uh, all of these uh, three different biotypes at the same time, and for sure, the right uh, ripeness is not the same for all these biotypes. But when uh, we um, uh, make analysis of the grapes in order to choose the most suitable date to harvest, I consider the proportion of the different quantities of, of these different biotypes. And uh, it's important for me to have a unique harvest because I can have a larger population of indigenous yeast that helps uh, not just the starter of the fermentation, but the wines usually is more complex and the fermentation is more regular. I prefer this way, so harvesting uh, one time, even if the biotypes are different and if the time of harvest are a little bit different. So you're doing co-ferments with those three kinds of pecorino as opposed to fermenting them separately and then blending them later. 
Uh, I taste one year, but uh, it's not my favorite way to work because um, it's important to have the fermentation together. Uh, when you blend uh, the wines, or I mean, uh, it's not always the same, it's not a rule, it's my condition. Uh, when you blend a different wine after fermentation, uh, the final wine is not uh, so it's not so complex and it looks like you have a different uh, par in the mouth. It seems like they're different pieces. Exactly. With different not pieces. Yes, not one. And uh, you can find different elements. So not all of these elements goes in the same way, same direction. And there is something wrong. I prefer to have a fermentation together. In this way, there is a balance. There is the natural competition between different uh, East, but even uh, there is uh, a good balance of acidity, of uh, tannic extraction, and protein, sugar. So you feel like you're getting different yeast cultures off the different biotypes of pecorino? Yes, different biotypes, and even because uh, you can't uh, um, make analysis of the biotypes because just the appearance is different, but the DNA is the same because the clone is the same. So it's a very, it's a very um, tough to talk about the biotype. Uh, I think it's a special bond between the wine grower and the vine. But for me, it's easy to understand two different biotypes because I stay all year long in the vineyard. And these vines started in a different uh, period, not just uh, in harvest, but even started the vegetation in different period. The shape of the cluster is different and, uh, you know, are completely different. In my opinion, are completely different. Someone else can say, no, are the same, looks uh, similar, but are not similar. Even if you make the analysis, the parameters are completely different. More sugar, less sugar, more acidity, less acidity. And, um, you know, this is a sign for me. It seems like in the current conversation, whites are as big or bigger part of the conversation about Abruzzo wines than red. And do you think that that's a global warming thing or just a recovery of the right vine material or both? It's global warming, but the point is uh, just recently in Abruzzo, people discovered uh, the mountain area to plant vineyard. Because in the 80s and 90s, the most part of the wine company were on the, close to the seaside in a flat land. But uh, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, people rediscovered the mountain area. And uh, in mountain, this mountain area are very interesting for white wines, even for Montepulciano. But uh, the white wines have no chance in flat, uh, hot land. So this is an interesting point. Abruzzo, the main part of the soil is mountain, but uh, for many years people uh, didn't look at the mountain just for skiing, <laughs> not uh, for plant vineyard. And even for Montepulciano, for example, thanks to this moving to a uh, mountain area, is a recent moving, even if historical producers are in uh, altitude. 
Valentini in Loreto or Catal di Madonna in Ofena, uh, Pepe, uh, Montori, historically was uh, a great white and cerasuolo producer. So that producer already discovered this terroir. And young producer followed recently that example, probably. Uh, even for Montepulciano, because this moving in mountain area um, rediscovered Montepulciano, rediscovered a new style for Montepulciano. Or, I mean, it's not new, it's very traditional because uh, it's a refined Montepulciano. People think Montepulciano wine is a fleshy wine, concentrated wine, rude wine, and it can be in this way. If you concentrate the production in the vineyard, if you use to harvest uh, the grape overripen, if you use to have a lot of extraction during fermentation, and of course, if your terroir is a warm terroir. But in mountain area with calcareous soil, Of course, the the growing season is cooler, is longer, and in this way the tannins can ripen very well and become softer and longer. But uh, young producers rediscovered the use of the stainless steel to have a fermentation for uh, Montepulciano. And thanks to this uh, new approach, we can have a very refined Montepulciano, typical Montepulciano, because sometimes, for the most part of people, the main flavors of Montepulciano are vanilla, chocolate, coffee, but of course it's not Montepulciano, it's just the oak. The main flavors of Montepulciano are uh, red fruit, but not not dark red fruit, but uh, brilliant, small red fruit, like um, raspberry, wild strawberry, not plum, but sour cherry, fresh red fruit, small red fruit. And for example, one of the flavors I rediscovered in my Montepulciano, thanks to the indigenous yeast, thanks to these old clones, is the blood orange. Blood orange is a very typical flavor for Montepulciano, but over the year disappeared for the largest use of new barrique or a lot of extraction, you know, batonnage, delestage. I think Montepulciano can be a very refined grape if you preserve the balance of the, of the grape of this uh, variety and you want, uh, and I don't want, for example, to force the extraction. I'm not interested in having a dark, deep color for Montepulciano. I want, uh, color is not the focus for me. It's not my focus in making wine. My focus is the balance to be able to respect these vibrant and dynamic flavors of Montepulciano. And uh, in this way, 
in the palate, the tannins are naturally smooth, don't ash, don't green, so you don't need to cover these tannins using a new barrique, but are the natural tannins of the grape. So, um, we are uh, improving uh, in Abruzzo. So for white wine in, in particular, for Trebbiano, the problem was the vine material and the differentiation. But for red wine and Montepulciano, the problem was the treatment in the winery. Yes, exactly, exactly. Because, uh, for example, in my old plot of Montepulciano, 50 years old, I didn't find other variety, just Montepulciano. In uh, Trebbiano Abruzzese, I found so many varieties. I was impressed. So it means for me, Montepulciano, the Abruzzo, the grape is Montepulciano, even because if uh, Sangiovese is so different, you recognize immediately. So the, different, uh, the difference stays in the approach in the winery, for sure, and in the terroir. People decided to plant Montepulciano in a cool area, in mountain area with uh, calcareous soil. But to make this uh, decision, I think it's important for wine grower, at first you have to change your taste. To move to mountain area, you need to like the freshness and the elegance in the wines and not the power in the wines. For uh, many years, Montepulciano was considered, you know, fleshy wine, very rustic wine, horse flavors. Uh, the problem is, uh, yes, Montepulciano is a reductive grape. So during fermentation probably needs oxygen, but you can help Montepulciano with oxygen just moving the wines during fermentation without extract too much. So give oxygen and not extract too much. And so do you think that the move for power and the move to lower lying elevation vineyards really was based around the cooperative model that was taking hold in Abruzzo in terms of quantity, grape production in lower lying areas? Yes, the, the land is more rich. So it's more easy to have a higher production and even to have a high alcohol content, deep color. There is a problem about the language, the communication. The most part of people think that the value of the wines comes from the color and the alcohol. It's not true. It's not true. Or, I mean, you need to save the main characteristic of the grape, but you don't need, you don't have to force this characteristic if are not natural. Uh, the point is, uh, yes, um, grow up the vineyard in a flat land is for sure more easier and uh, the product that you have is more understandable for the most part of people. Make refined Montepulciano is not easy to understand. You need to develop a taste, in my opinion. 
So do you think that there's other grape varieties out there that are still to emerge that we'll hear about in the future in a way that Pecorino has become more important in the last 20 years? Is there something historically that was in the region that we... Uh, yes, historically in the region we have uh, Passerina, we have Cococciola, and we have uh, Montonico. I don't know about these uh, three varieties because I decided to work uh, just with Pecorino because I found Pecorino in my property. So I had the original branches. But uh, to be honest, I'm very focused on the clones aspect because uh, it's the main point for me in making wine and is the most important heritage for Abruzzo. And so I always uh, look, I'm always spend time visiting abandoned vineyard in Abruzzo close to me in order to find something new, something different. I work very hard. I spend uh, a lot of, uh, some, someone told me I'm wasting time, but it's always an experience. When I found something uh, different, I don't want to have uh, a new vines, but the point is, why is so different? What made it so different over the year? Because you can develop an interesting reflection about the terroir and the origin of the clones. So the symbiosis between what developed at the grape level and the place, like in other words, it had smaller leaves because it wanted more sun, that kind of idea. Exactly, absolutely. You know, uh, we have even Moscatello di Castiglione in Abruzzo. It's an old native grape from Abruzzo, suitable for uh, sweet wine. And for sure, there are uh, many native grapes in Abruzzo and all over in the Italy. Because the real patrimony of the Italy, I think, is this patrimony of indigenous grape. In France, they are able to speak about the terroir, but the grape varieties are few. But in Italy, we have uh, several native grape. Is there some sort of vine library in the region? Uh, about Trebbiano Abruzzese, I think uh, can be very hard. Because even now, if you ask to wine growers what kind of grape, what kind of vineyard is it, it will answer you is Trebbiano d'Abruzzo, the name of the wine. And it doesn't mean anything because you can make Trebbiano d'Abruzzo using Trebbiano Toscano, Trebbiano Romagnolo, Bombino. Is You can because uh, the DOP give you this opportunity in order to save the old vineyard. But it's important in the future, I think, to start this selection in order to save Trebbiano Abruzzese and in order to let people understand how great this grape is and how great Trebbiano d'Abruzzo wine is when it's made by 100% Trebbiano Abruzzese. Because in the opinion of the people, Trebbiano d'Abruzzo is not a great wine. It's a cheap wine. It's a daily wine. And sometimes they have a reason because uh, the wines are not so interesting, but different grapes harvested in the same time, so the result uh, can be flat wine, not able to age. 
So would it make sense for Trebbiano Diabruzzese to have its own DOP to be called something else besides Trebbiano Diabruzzo? It would be important to change, to give the opportunity to change over the year. I understand very well that someone who has Trebbiano Toscano instead of Trebbiano Abruzzese uh, can't Detroit the vineyard and replant Trebbiano uh, Abruzzese. I understand very well even if I don't agree. But in the next future, if you need to replace the vineyard, please don't buy again Trebbiano Toscano or Bombino, but buy Trebbiano Abruzzese. But to buy Trebbiano Abruzzese, we need to understand that Trebbiano Abruzzese is a different grape variety. It's not the same of Bombino or uh, Trebbiano Toscano. This is my point to start a new generation of uh, vineyard and uh, let people enough time to move the vineyard. It seems like what you're saying is that it wasn't the intention necessarily of the people to plant something besides Trebbiano di Abruzzese. It was really propagated by the nurseries. I think the nursery can make uh, a great job, but it's important that they propagate the right clone. One of the examples is not just Trebbiano Abruzzese, but even Pecorino, because in the historical clone, the first bud doesn't produce a grape. But now, in the modern clones, the clone is Pecorino, but it's a modern clone. Even the first bud produces grapes, so the yield per hectare is increasing. And, uh, of course, the alcohol content is lower, the acidity is lower. Is, uh, is, is a wine more easy to approach? Because Pecorino is not always easy to approach. It's a very characteristic wine. It's not a wine you can uh, drink um, with no sense. Uh, the identity of Pecorino is very deep. But I think if you don't like Pecorino, don't drink Pecorino, drink another wine. It's important to respect the identity and the historical flavors of the wine. The historical Pecorino, and if you think to the historical producer like Cocci Grifoni or Cataldi Madonna, the alcohol content is high, not because we want to have a high-level alcohol content in the wine. No one wants to have the alcohol content in the wine. But the reason is the yield per hectare is very, very low. And it's natural to have this alcohol content if you work with the original clone, with the historical clone. So the point is, it's important that the nursery propagate, but sometimes uh, they help too much the high production. They want to make the vines able to be planted with no problem uh, and uh, to give grape in a very fast period, very shortly. And, uh, but in this way, we don't save the viticultural. And um, I don't agree. Uh, even the, some healthy problem, uh, you know, if you correct the healthy condition, you miss some flavors. Montepulciano is oidium sensitive. If you correct this sensibility, of course, you 
correct even the flavors of the grape, of the vines, and it's not good. Oidium sensitive, but be a wine producer means to be and to become able to take care of the grape even in a very hard season. So you'd rather not have it cleaned up from viruses or disease sensitivities because it has certain tastes as a result. And when you clean them up, you change the taste. The healthy condition of the grape is very important, of course. But when we harvest, we don't pick up all the grape because it's not possible, it's not real that the 100% of the grape is perfectly to become wine. We know. You waste a little, sometimes a bigger part of the production, but it's our work. You spoke some about Pergola before, but with that, different training systems that you're using, Pergola versus non-Pergola for Montepulciano, what are you seeing? I have, uh, uh, for Montepulciano, I have Pergola and uh, Guyot and uh, Cordon training too, just because I want to taste a different training system. I love pergola and uh, I use uh, this pergola, the oldest uh, vines of my pergola, to propagate the new vines of training system and uh, guillot are different. And uh, I prefer pergola or cordon training depending on the vintage. Because in some vintage, I prefer pergola. Other vintage, I prefer uh, cordon training. Uh, the point, the characteristic of the pergola are the shadow. So the clusters uh, are always very protected from the direct sun. But uh, you cannot manage very well the leaves. In the cordon training, you can better manage the shadow of the leaves, depending on the vintage. Today, my favorite result comes from pergola, but, uh, you know, it's hard to say because pergola is 50 years old and cordone is 15 years old, 16, so very young. It's hard to compare. But Today, in a new vineyard, I will plant pergola, to be honest. Is the thickness of the skins different? Yes, it's different. It's different because uh, uh, even the dimension, in the cordon training, the berry is larger and the cluster is more compact, even if the clone is the same. Pergola, the berries are smaller, the skin is uh, crunchier and uh, more fat and thick and uh, the barrier are smaller and the cluster is not so compact and the yield is different yes is higher for pergola a little bit higher it depends on the vintage usually is uh, 90 for pergola and can be 75 80 for cordon training it's interesting because you know when you read the the literature from the 80s and 90s, they say, you know, one of the great things we did was get rid of pergola and lowered the yields so that we could have more concentrated wines, unlike these peasant wines of the old days where they were making tons and tons of fruit off one vine. But to me, it's interesting because it would seem that the pergola grapes, there were more of them, but at the same time, they had thicker skins. 
So when you do a ferment, you get the structure that you would have gotten from lower yields, although it's a, maybe a different kind of structure. It's interesting. When, uh, after fermentation, when you pick up the juice, the wine, and uh, the skins uh, stay in uh, the tank, uh, I don't move the wine during fermentation, so I don't use to have any delestage, remouage, pigeage. But the skins of the pergola are more Detroit, even if at first are more thick, more fat, more crunchy. But uh, during fermentation, I think the reaction of the skins of the pergola is higher. Uh, so even the wines is more, a little bit more dirty, not clean. When uh, we pick up the juice uh, from the tank uh, of Montepulciano coming from cordon training, the juice is more clean and the skins are uh, in better condition. Probably is the population of the East. But uh, it's interesting because this aspect repeats year by year. It's not an occasionally event, uh, but it's a rule in my winery and in my estate. But it doesn't mean anything because even if the wine is not so clean, dirtiness for me means the solid power of the grape can be even better for the wine. Is there a fairly high level of malic acidity in Montepulciano di Abruzzo? Especially recently, because uh, the harvest uh, we is always in advance. And for example, last year in 15, I had uh, four grams of malic acid and high acidity, low pH. So I'm still waiting for malolactic. So you don't inoculate the mallow? No, no, no. So usually uh, <laughs> it's funny because um, <laughs> a friend of mine, usually for Christmas, uh, for kidding, they ask me, what do you ask uh, for Christmas? And I say, malolactic, of course. <laughs> it's my, <laughs> yeah, it would be my favorite gift for Christmas, but malolactic. <laughs> never happened before christmas so anyway pretty amazing and then um, a typical mallow on a montepulciano how long does it take three months mm -hmm, okay. three months or sometimes start uh, in november and then stopped and restart in spring in march and uh, so sometimes a different step in this case can be very long even can take one year and do you use whole cluster? Like, are there stems in the... No, we... No. We use just the berries. And we try in some vintage to take away the seeds. Because especially in a very hot vintage, the seeds are green. So there's really a difference. There's a divergence with Montepulciano then between the seed ripeness and the skin ripeness. Absolutely. Yes. Yes, and um, it's very sad when you see all these green seeds, but um, you can do anything. 
we just need uh, cool growing season and harvest later, but we can't decide. I think you can be scared to have a lighter wine, lighter than people expected. But I'm not scared because I love this elegance in this wine. And in my opinion, is a is a new aspect, or I mean, I drank uh, Valentini, old Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, or Montori, old Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, are, are great wine, uh, so elegant, with the tannins are great, so soft, smooth. And uh, this example gave me even uh, a new elements uh, for uh, think in a new way, about Montepulciano. Montepulciano, in my mind, is not a rich wine that the most part of people want to have, but is a refined wine. The important thing is not extract too much. When I taste the berries, I don't look for the color. I don't look for the um, richness, for the sugar. I want, even for Montepulciano, save the acidity and the freshness. But the thing about Valentini is that he didn't release the Montepulciano di Abruzzo every year. So sometimes he would release it twice in a decade or three times in a decade. And I think, I don't know, because I've never had the opportunity to visit with him, or obviously I never met his father, but I think that the parcels used vary to the year for the Montepulciano di Abruzzo because when I do a vertical, it doesn't taste like the same wine to me. There's a lot of different... I, I don't get a terroir signature that runs through all the wines of one parcel. My suspicion is that he uses the grapes of one facing and exposure in some years and then that of another facing and exposure in a different year because he wants the best wine from that year. But I believe you make wine every year for red, so... Is that a little more challenging? Because I think basically Valentini just declassified everything that he didn't like and he sold it in bulk. Yes. And so sometimes there's yes. three vintages. So when I, yeah. yeah, obviously they're all great, but yes. the ones that weren't great, they're not around. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, it seems like it would be more challenging to try to release 10 vintages in a decade. Yes, it's tough. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. That's the only short answer we've had in the interview. <laughs> like. You know, it's, um, it's very hard because um, I think, or I mean, I'm not Francesco, unfortunately for me, but Francesco uh, looks just for his approval, not uh, the approbation of the public. So I can understand how hard it is for him. Uh, for me, it's easy because I don't have no one from who I need to compare myself. I'm uh, the first. So first generation, I compare myself with myself, vintage by vintage. I don't have experience of 20 years ago, old bottle by my father or grandfather. So for me, I don't want to miss any vintages because any vintages is my experience, is my history. And I'm writing my history year by year. 
I'm saving the old bottles, old, 10 years old, so not so old, but um, it's my history, it's a recent history. And uh, for me, it's important to tell about my wines uh, in a vertical, so tasting different vintages, because uh, in this way I can better understand uh, how is uh, changing uh, these clones and uh, the biotype, for example, pecorino, especially for, for pecorino, this aspect is very evident because uh, the youngest, uh, my youngest pecorino in 2005, I had just one biotype. And then I have three biotypes, in the future probably more than three. So it's important to follow different vintage, even in order to evaluate how the grapes are changing, how the grape vines are changing. Even my style, of course, the vintages, many aspects are different vintage by vintage, but it's important to understand even how the grape vines are changing, are moving, because the grape vines move continuously, not in a fast way, but they change. Ten years from now, what's already in the back of your mind about where things could be going or something that's going to be important? Ten years ago, for example, for Pecorino, I was uh, scared about the acidity. Now I love the acidity. It's the opposite. People fighted the acidity in Pecorino in order to have a richer wine and the acidity was too high. And it was true, even in my cases. And uh, in 2010, I changed my point of view because uh, I was in the Pecorino vineyard uh, a couple of days before harvest. And uh, I made the analysis of this grape. And the analysis says uh, the acidity is too high. 14. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, but I went to the vineyard uh, I tasted at the sunset, I tasted the grape. The grape was uh, crunchy, acid, but uh, citrus minerality was a lemon acidity. And uh, when you eat pecorino berries, you have a few juice. The most part of the berries are the skins. So this sensation gave me the opportunity to reflect about the point I was in the vineyard with the mountain on the back. And this is sensation in biting, in chewing the berries suggested me just to follow this sensation. Pecorino is acid. I don't want to have a mild acidity. There is no sense. I need to be brave and to respect these main elements, even if now I think can be a risk. But uh, I follow this uh, sensation and uh, this changed my life about Pecorino because uh, that vintage 2010 was uh, the vintage I had uh, many awards with Pecorino. So it was a great experience and uh, I became, thanks to that experience, even more brave and uh, 
In making wine, you need to be brave. I don't want to have a tidy wine, perfect wine with no problem uh, for uh, my lifestyle. I don't sleep during night. <laughs> I have a lot of nightmare, but uh, it's my life and I chose to have this approach. Christiana Tiberio is trying to move at the same pace as her vineyard. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Christiana Tiberio of Tiberio in Abruzzo. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.